Gumption. Defined as initiative, aggressiveness, resourcefulness, courage, spunk, guts, common sense, shrewdness. Welcome to the podcast. This is Stories of Gumption with your host, Ryan Lee. All right, everybody, welcome. Here we are again, another episode of Stories of Gumption podcast, where uh, we got a good one for you today. We're talking with entrepreneurs, creative thinkers, and really, really impressive people. Uh, Before we get into it, though, uh, as you know, we do still have a sponsor, so super pumped about that. Our sponsor is still Open Gate Farmstead. Uh, a stone's throw away from the mighty Osable River, Open Gate Farmstead is a first-generation farm specializing in free-range poultry, pasture-raised pork, and seasonal produce. The farm is run using a simple principle. Happy animals make the healthiest and tastiest product. You will find their chickens eating bugs on the pasture, their pigs enjoying a mud bath or, or some acorns, and if you're lucky, the geese will be enjoying the pond. To watch and experience the Open Gate Farmstead journey, check out their YouTube page at Open Gate Farmstead. Or you can catch them on, you can catch them on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, be sure to reach out to them on social media to try the Farm Fresh difference. And uh, for a special offer to anyone in the Clinton County area, uh, any Gumption listener looking to get uh, an order of eggs will get a dollar off their first order. It doesn't sound like a lot, but a dollar off your first egg or order or your first order of eggs from Open Gate Farmstead is definitely worth it. I uh, I eat their eggs all the time. I think they're I think there's something to be said about locally sourced eggs. They definitely taste better to me, and I think uh, they're probably better for me. So anyhow, check it out, Open Gate Farmstead, ladies and gentlemen. Today. I am with a good friend of mine. He is not from New York State. So all our previous, uh, well, he's from New York State, but he's not in New York State as I'm speaking with him. Uh, This is Neil Kirby. He's uh, originally from Plattsburgh, New York, currently out in New Mexico. We're going to talk about that. Um, But he's a Amazon FBA seller, certified seller. And most importantly, and most interesting to me, he's the founder and owner of Live in Large Fitness. So he works as a trainer uh, all over the country, wherever he is traveling, and uh, it's also an apparel company. Uh, he's been sponsored by several uh, other companies, and it's it's impressive. This dude has gumption. He's got a cool story. And uh, Neil, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. I'm definitely really happy to be on here. Yeah, man. And I'm happy to have you on. It's, it's cool. You know, you and I, uh, we've, uh, we, we sort of stay in touch, uh, periodically through over the years, you know, when you're coming back into town and, and when you're out, um, conquering the world. But, uh, for the listeners that maybe don't know who you are, why don't you walk us through your, uh, your, your, your job history a little bit. Cause yeah, I can do that. To me, your jobs, your job history tells us a lot about, how you approach success and getting after it, rolling your sleeves up. And uh, so, so tell us about that. You graduate high school and? 
Yeah, so I graduated high school right there in Plattsburgh at Seton Catholic. I then uh, was fortunate enough to be offered some scholarships to go to a couple great Division I colleges uh, all around the country. But being a young, and I was 19 at the time, 19-year-old, I was scared to go away from what I was familiar with and my friends. So I went to SUNY Can in Canton, New York. I was there for only one semester. Um, realized that playing basketball at SUNY Can wasn't for me. I just felt like I was not living up to my potential there and unfortunately regretted my decision not to pursue any of those scholarships. So I found my way back to Plattsburgh. Scholarships, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but scholarships to play to, Yeah, to play basketball. So like big, yeah, you were quite the talent in basketball. Yeah, I was, I was decent. I, you know, I definitely wasn't the best ever to come out of Plattsburgh, but I just had the heart and the tenacity to pursue it. So I contacted colleges like crazy until some finally reached back out to me. Awesome. So you, you're at SUNY, Cl- SUNY Canton and you decide no more with SUNY Canton. Yep. I decided a small town can wasn't for me. So I went back to Plattsburgh and went to Clint Community College, graduated from there in 2010 with an associate's degree in, in just uh, business management. Uh, originally, the idea was to go for my bachelor's, but I was fortunate enough to just have some good jobs at the time. I was making decent money. You know, as a 21-year-old, it was, you know, kind of just enjoying life and making good money and was living with friends. So I, I didn't want to go on and pursue a bachelor's degree at the time. Gotcha. Nice. So what, what kind of jobs did you have? Tell me a little bit more about yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, I was very fortunate enough to work for my father's business and for him while I was in high school and up through college. But at the same time, being that I do like nice things, I purchased a new car, was living in a nice uh, condo with some friends. I needed to make more money. So I was working actually in my last year of college, three jobs. I was working for my father's business. I was working as a manager at NutriShop, a supplement store there in Plattsburgh. It was there for uh, just a little while. And that was actually working for the city of Plattsburgh at the recreation center. I was working the Saturday and Sunday shifts from open to close, uh, running the gym there and the uh, track and the weight room. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. It was, it was a lot, but I look back and I... I'm definitely am grateful that I worked hard then because I was able to save money and, and have the things I wanted and have fun with friends and travel a little bit. So it was worth it. And I actually then at one point was actually working four jobs because I took on a 4 a.m. shift or maybe 5 a.m. at Old Navy unloading trucks too there in my last semester. Oh, of college. Wow. So I was busy. <laughs> what do you think it was that instilled that? in you um what do I, you think it was just this sort of like go get it attitude. yeah i would say definitely going back to working for my father uh when i was young you know being a kid and wanting 20 dollars a week allowance or whatever to go to the movies with friends or go out to eat i remember asking him about an allowance and he said no you need to work for your money so he offered me to go in and this was around 12 13 years old to go in and just help him out on the weekends or late at night when they were closed, uh, when his warehouse was closed, cleaning the floors, the bathrooms, uh, picking up the cardboard and bringing it out to the dumpsters and whatnot. And that's how I was able to get my allowance money. So I would say that's where that idea of working for every dollar you have came from. 
And then also seeing my father be involved in the community, be, you know, pretty successful at what he does and seeing him, you know, he liked nice cars. So he, he would go purchase nice cars. I think that idea of enjoying especially nice cars, but realizing you need to work hard to have those things mm-hmm. stuck with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like, um, it's a hard thing to get over for any young person, but you know, we live in a world now where it's like uh, pretty much everyone is used to getting what they want now. But yeah, I feel like there's a lot of value in a job where you don't get what you want now, so to speak. Right? Yeah. Like you, you know, got to actually sit back. Like I remember my first job where I really kind of, had to slog it out. And I remember there were days I was just like, man, this sucks. But I worked for uh, Gus's Red Hots. Yep. Down on Cumberland Hill. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I was a dishwasher and a bus boy. And I did that for a couple of years. And interestingly, I, as I look back and I talk to people and we, you know, what was your first job? What was your first like slogging job where you got paid like <laughs> crap and you had to, you know, do the worst job? Well, at least for me, at the time, I would have said, oh, that was definitely the worst job I've ever had. Yeah. But now I look back on it and I'm like, that was one of the best jobs I ever had because it taught me so much. And now that I'm older, I, I recognize that. Yeah, I think that comes with, you know, just age and maturity and realizing that everything we have in life isn't free. And then, like you said, a lot of people now, I guess you could say, want free handouts. They don't want to work for what they have. And being from a small town, just like you, you know, being from Plattsburgh, we had to work for what we wanted. So starting off in those jobs like Gus's or like my actual first job working for somebody else other than my father was actually at Yando's Big M in the Skyway Plaza. <laughs> I love so, the good yep. old Yando's. Yeah, I done yep. a few so uh, I was... groceries there back when I had an apartment. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Nice. So, man. you know, like those jobs, you look back in retrospect and you're like, man, that sucked. But at the same time, you're like, I earned every cent that I made there because this job sucked, but I showed up every day. Yeah. You know, I, I did it. And then, like you said, later on in life, you're like, wow, that actually taught me a lot. Yep, for sure. So I'm going to jump ahead because yeah. this is the part that I really want to get your your thoughts and experience on. But when I learned that you were a certified FBA seller for Amazon, I was like, forgive you know excuse my language but what the hell is that you know like but so tell the listeners what that is what does fba even stand for and tell me how you fell into it it's yeah it's it's pretty interesting and i had the same reaction as you when i first kind of like i told you off air when i watched a youtube video i was like what is this you know i saw it in the recommended videos and and clicked on it so yeah, Amazon FBA, it means Amazon fulfilled by Amazon. And what that is, is you can do two things. You can be a merchant on Amazon and ship items to customers yourself, which takes up more of your time. You can you have to deal with the customer service firsthand, or you can do fulfilled by Amazon, which means I get items, I send them into Amazon, and then when an Amazon customer goes on to purchase an item, 
Amazon ships those out. If there's any issues, they contact Amazon directly. Amazon handles everything on that side of thing. They charge a higher fee, Amazon does, because they're handling the shipping. They're handling the customer service, any returns. But that fee isn't drastic. So for me to give me more time to pursue other things that I enjoy and my other ventures, it made sense to go that route. It's just the best way when it comes to time versus profit. So what's the other route? So the, the other route would be me sitting here purchasing items, listing them on Amazon, similar to eBay. You have to get approved by Amazon first, but it's very similar to eBay and customers placing an order. I getting their order, packaging the order, shipping to them. Then I'm a hundred percent solely responsible for the shipping, making sure it gets to them safely. Uh, you know, with the actual cost of shipping, uh, which when you break down the cost of having Amazon fulfill it versus you filling it and not having to pay for boxes, uh, poly bags, items, you know, that you would need like tape, uh, printer ink is another big thing, expensive. Uh, and just all those different items, you add that up. If I was mailing these items myself, that fee that Amazon charges me is well worth it because I'm actually saving money in the long run. Wow. So just for to check my understanding here. So you you find items that <clears throat> are selling at a good price or a higher price yeah. and you you buy them up in bulk and you send them to Amazon and then because you sourced those items for Amazon, you get paid on them. That's basically the That's the simplest way. So I can give an example. Uh, the best one recently would be these makeup brushes. I purchased them for $3 at Marshall's. They were selling for $37.72 on Amazon. I purchased all, they had 11, that was it. Purchased all 11 that they had, sent them to Amazon, paid $12 shipping to Amazon, ship them right to one of their hubs and then they disperse them to whatever hub that they feel appropriate where they're selling the most. So they may send two to this hub, three to this hub. Uh, and then they sold on Amazon within four days, all 11 of them. Wow. And with the, with the fees. So I paid $3 Amazon on those, I believe charged me just around $5. So say $8, I made $29 and 72 cents approximately. On each item, each. on eleven of them, yeah, on each. So you do the math, three hundred, just round off three hundred dollars profit in four days. Holy smokes! Real quick, easy. And it took me going into Marshalls. Actually, was just going in there shopping just for myself. I see that they had this big clearance section of makeup, and I had never got dealt with makeup before ever in my life. Um, of course, so yeah, sure. I'm looking at these items, and I'm saying, well, I wonder if these would sell good on Amazon. If they would sell well. So Amazon has this great app for sellers called the Amazon seller app where I can scan the barcode of that item and see in live time what it's selling for on Amazon, what my fees are going to be from Amazon and I can actually input my price of purchase on there and it'll tell me what my profit is going to be. So that's what I did. No shit. And I was in there for 20 minutes that day. So 20 minutes of my time made $300 profit in four days. Not too shabby. 
And that's a very po- <laughs> that's, that's a very positive example. You know, there I'm are sure. examples What's where a, you may. I'm sure there's. Yeah. I'm sure there's crap examples. Yeah. You have any real bad ones that happen to you that you're willing? Yeah, to actually. So the first place I ever sourced for items was at Walgreens. I had a couple great items I purchased in there where I made good money, but I scanned these dolls. They were dolls that came with a like a stuffed unicorn, and they were ranked really high because you actually see the yeah. ranking on this Amazon seller app. So you see what they're selling, like where their rank is in the selling feed. So anything below 100,000 is really, really, really good because that may sound like a high number, but you have millions of items selling in that category. Interesting. That's just the toys category. So you could have 6 million items selling. An item ranked under 100,000 out of 6 million is really good. (laughs) It's popping up a lot. People are buying it. Yeah. So I, I see these these dolls with these plush unicorns. I scan them. They're on sale for $10. It was buy one, get one 50% off. So I paid $15 for two, I believe. I would have to go back. This was you know a month ago, but sure. I believe it's just say $15. So even with sales tax, whatever, say $17.50, I was approximately paid for these two. I ended up only buying two because I just had this weird feeling. And they were selling at the time for right around $70 apiece. So with fees, the fees were $8 on these because they were kind of a big box item. So they were, you know, they were pretty large to ship. So they charged $8 per. So you can say I, I spent $9 on each one, just round it off, $8. So you're talking $13 per item. Yeah. With fees and whatnot is approximately what it would have came out to between $13 and $16. At $70, that's a really good profit of two items. Make $100 real quick. Wow. They sat there. They sat there for three months before they sold. Ooh, there's there's the. And downside. I ended up only getting. Yep. I, I think I sold them for around twenty five a piece. So I still made money on them, which I'm not complaining about that. But that's you could see an item that looks great by ranking is selling really well. But that's the scary part is if you don't know that item. I have certain items I look for now because I know they sell no matter what and they sell for a good profit. Yeah, so but you have to take that risk sometimes and go for those items that look good, but they may not be. Interesting. Yeah, so there there's a strategy to it. You, it's not a uh, just go out and randomly find random stuff. It, you kind of stick to a a yeah. genre or an industry yeah. or category, right? Yeah. So for me, I started in toys, and that's still where my passion is because it actually stemmed from I'm when I started looking into this, doing the research. I'm everybody that I. I researched that they were current good sellers said, you need to find a niche. So I thought toys, toys always sell year round. You get in around the holidays, around uh, tax season. They're really selling. So and they're fun. I mean, come on. Yeah. And that, that's kind of where, want, who doesn't like a toy? Well, <laughs> me, me being, you know, big into fitness and whatnot. I'm a huge uh, comic book fan when it comes to, you know, I don't collect comic books, but I love, I love, you know, Thor and Captain America yeah, and yeah. all those characters. Respect. So that's actually what I started looking for were action figures. Let's look into all different superheroes. And that was actually my number, my best item. My first best item was a Captain America 12 inch action figure. I bought every single one at the Walmart and St. Albans that they had every single one in the store. And then I went to every other Walmart in Vermont and, and uh, upstate New York that I could find, and nobody had anymore. 
but I went because I was getting these for $7.82. I still remember the exact numbers on these. It was $7.82 a piece. Mm -hmm. And when they were selling, they kept fluctuating, but they were selling between $29 and $42 a piece. Okay. So I purchased a lot of those. And they only had a $3.50 or so fee. So I was making a really nice profit on them. And when you buy 20, 30 of those, that adds up. Yeah, it does. And you get excited when it's your first item you purchase and they're selling like crazy. You know, that was my first week, my first good successful item. And it was just from there, it's kind of, you get bit by a bug a little bit when it comes to this uh, reselling this Amazon FBA. Yeah. So you start like anything, you start making money and you're like, wow, this is really cool. And it's kind of fun because you're out there shopping. So you could be going to the store to pick up a uh, package of socks but you're like, oh, I'll take a few minutes and I'll just look around and see what they have. So it everybody shops, so it doesn't take much out of your going out of your way if you have the time to spend doing it. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It the, the seems like the hour investment isn't even really a factor. I, I guess my question would be, um, what has your general net positive been? on a monthly basis. Yeah, actually. Uh, Generally. If that's no, I can, okay to ask. I was actually... Uh, <laughs> Everybody's going to know. I, was actually gonna, yeah. I had my uh, Amazon seller app up to uh, to actually give you a, some exact numbers on that. So Sweet. <laughs> so like, for example, my this is my previous 30 days. And right now, like I was explaining a little bit, uh, you know, off the live feed to you is that where I am in New Mexico right now is a very small town. My closest Walmart um, is 30 minutes away or so. The next closest one is an hour and a half away. Yeah. And Walmart's a really good place, as everybody knows, to go buy yep, things. Yep. So that makes it tough. There's no Walgreens within three hours. There's no Kenny Drugs. There's no CVS. So my, my shopabilities here is very limited. Mm-hmm. But even this month, for example, last 30 days, because uh, it just goes by 30 days, seven days, or you can do two weeks. So my last 30 days, it's $606 profit, 131% increase from the previous week, this week from last week. Wow. And this is my worst month. So far. my first month was 1600 who baby and the second Look month at that. Was, wow. was just a little bit above that so, wow so as a side as a side gig this is a really good way for people to make good money on the side and in the, if you have the ability where you're putting in the time on the side on the weekends after work and you start making money and, and i'm very lucky because i do see things where people don't make 1600 in the first month and they get really discouraged and they quit which you, you have to keep with it but if you're doing this on the side say you spent Twice a week during the weekdays, Monday through Friday, an hour and a half at a store. And then on Saturday, maybe you go spend a couple hours, spend two hours at the store. And then you're making $400 extra a month. That's a car payment. You know, that's half of or one third of a mortgage. Yeah. So for three, four hours a week, you could pay a car off. You could pay, you know, for your house. But then if you started realizing, oh, I'm doing this off just three hours a week or two hours a week, what if I spent 10 hours a week or 12? Then people end up maybe making more than they make at their job. And this is something they could do full-time on their own schedule 
work only 12 hours a week and you're making what you were making at your job possibly. Yeah, man. You just have to find your niche and you have to get a little lucky. And that's really uh, all it takes. I think there's luck. I think everything has a little bit of luck, but I think, I think the people who are successful are the ones who are, uh, allowing luck to fall in their favor. They're plan, you know, they're, yeah, I think if you take a general sales role and you're, and, you, and you're like, you got two people, they're both going for the same type of business opportunity, but, uh, one person is calling, uh, a hundred people a week and the other one is calling 20 people a week. Naturally, the luck is going to fall. The lucky ones are going to fall towards the person calling a hundred, right? Exactly. That's, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's basically what I was getting at is that little bit of luck comes with your effort you put in. So the more effort you put in, I feel like, you know, the universe is going to reward you with that little bit of luck. Yep. Absolutely. How does, so how does somebody, um, listening who's probably intrigued, I'm sure, I'm sure nine out of 10 people listening to this are at least paying attention right now. Yeah. I <laughs> mean, like I was when yeah, I first found out. I, so. I would assume everybody listening, I hope is paying attention to this. Cause this is, I, you got my attention. So how does somebody get going with this? Yeah. So easiest way would be just to go to Google and type in Amazon FBA seller. You'll get the Amazon links. Plus you will get articles written by individuals that are current sellers or interested in, or, or have done research and written about it and start researching. Go to Amazon's site directly, their FBA site, mm-hmm. and read, you know, their general outline and, and you know, about the fees and things like that so you can get the actual s- structure of how it works. But then read articles or watch YouTube videos of current sellers or people that have tried to sell and failed. Learn why those people failed and then go look at the people that are successful one great example I'd recommend for people is to go to YouTube and look at the bearded picker. He's a gentleman out of Alabama. He's called the bearded picker. I was going to guess Type that sounds like my picker. buddy who owns Open Gate Farmstead, Matt Craig, but I'm going <laughs> to, well, that's for another day if he's listening, but go ahead. So the story of the bearded picker. I yeah. So this. he has his own YouTube channel, tons of followers, tons of views. He makes a decent amount of money just off YouTube now. Wow. He is beyond successful. He's been doing this for, I think, I think four years, maybe six years. Amazon FBA and eBay is what he does. He has a, his whole garage is now converted into essentially a mini warehouse. He spends hours. He actually goes to the extent where he goes to other cities and he has so many rewards points because he stays in so many hotels. He gets free hotels now because he goes and stays overnight in other cities. He's from Alabama and he drives all the way up to Chicago. One of his videos, he drove to Chicago because he found an item that was so hot and the profit was so amazing. He calculated with how many were at that store because you could go check it. For example, at Walmart there, you can go right onto their app and you can look at that individual store, see how many they have in stock, call the store. You can have them put them aside or some stores will do that for you. You get some stores that really like FBA sellers and some stores that don't because some stores, they need to get rid of those items. That's why they're marked down. So they love it that somebody's going to come in and buy hundred items. They just love it. So they'll put them aside for you. Some stores won't. Depends on the manager and the policies. But this guy went to Chicago, did that. And it, I, actually, I'll tell you the item. It was uh, Monopoly for Millennials. He bought everyone in Alabama that he could find and worked his way up to Chicago. He went through Tennessee, everything. Bought everyone. He bought 
hundreds, if not maybe thousands. I would have to go rewatch, but he bought so many. Wow. He made thousands of dollars profit in one weekend off these items. The, the week of certain, one, you, one weekend? One weekend. I think it was $8,000 he made on a Saturday and Sunday. Jeez, man, this is nuts. But he's he's good and he's but he gives Sure. He sure. does free he does free live videos almost I think 3 days a week in the morning, I believe at 8 or 9 a.m. and he gets other successful as they call themselves pickers. That's what they like to refer to themselves as because they don't just sell on Amazon. They sell eBay. Some of them have their own stores now. Um, where they actually sell like kind of like thrift stores because they're so successful. They've expanded into different markets. But they have a great live show that they do. And those are that guy is the number one person I recommend to look for good free advice. But then also, like I said, look at the stories of people failing because you need to understand why they failed. Mm. What would you say your biggest lesson is from a failure you've had? Uh, yeah. It, and it may not even necessarily be a lesson specific to Amazon uh, FBA uh, selling, but you know, in general, a bit, yeah, a business I think it goes, or anything it goes back to what we were talking about with the luck being in the end of hard work. Uh, I would say it is to don't give up just because something's not working out. That first month, if I wouldn't have made a dollar, I still would have kept going because at the time I needed to do this because I had to give up my corporate career and travel the country. And uh, Ryan knows this is because my fiance is a travel nurse. So it was her dream and I wanted to support her and her dream. Yeah, and it's yeah. a great opportunity yeah. for her to make great money and also uh, advance her career. So I agreed to step back from my, my corporate career and I needed to make money. I want to make money. I can't sit around and not doing anything. So if I would have failed that first month, I would have kept going. I didn't care if it took me three months. I needed to find my niche, learn the ins and outs. So my one thing is, is don't let failure overtake, overtake your, your goals or your dreams. Keep going for it. Keep pushing because most people are not successful at any new business right off. It takes months, if not years, for brick and mortar businesses to be really successful. Oh, for sure. You know, so something like this, which is a little bit easier, I feel like, to break into if you do the research, a few months you may fail, but three or four months in, you can start really pulling a decent profit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and I think you 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 hit the nail right on the head when you said, you know, never never confuse, um, success with, um, you know, luck. You didn't say it that way, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's yeah. success is not, it, it's sometimes luck, but really luck should be an afterthought. It's about effort. Yeah. Yeah. The effort you put in, like I, I said earlier, I feel like, uh, you're going to be rewarded, you know, whether it's financially or freedom or just, you know, doing something you love you'll be rewarded in the end. Yeah. Regardless of what you do, you can you can take the luck out of it and then wait for it as the frosting on the cake. Exactly, dude. That's sweet. That's a sweet gig you got going on the side there. While um, your um, better half there—I shouldn't say better half, but probably, <laughs> yeah, <right>? definitely—is <laughs> uh, is is out crushing it in the traveling nurse world. So you're in New Mexico right now, yes. but you've got 
this business that you can take anywhere with yep. you, roll up your sleeves and get it done. But you've also got living large fitness. Yeah, I do. So tell us about that. Yeah, that actually, how did that start? It started in 2011 is when I actually started the training aspect of that. Uh, it was because I, like I described earlier, went from SUNY Canton back to Clinton community college and being that they were in the same conference when it came to sports at SUNY Canton, I could play basketball, but I had to sit out for a semester if I wanted to play at Clinton community college because they were in the same conference and that's what NCAA rules regulate. So I got to thinking, well, I do want to play basketball still, but I need to stay in shape. So I started working out when I went back to Plattsburgh and I just fell in love with working out. And as they say, I was, I was bitten by the iron bug uh, because I was seeing amazing personal results. And like anybody, when you see results, you just get hooked to something. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> by seeing such fast results in the gym and gaining more muscle and really achieving the look I wanted to, yep. I realized, well, you know what? I like talking to people. I like helping people. I feel like I've been fortunate enough to see quick success in the gym that I need to start teaching myself about the science behind working out and supplementation. So that's what I did. And then I want to give back to these people that are here in the gym, but they're doing things wrong. You know, I, I would just watch people in the gym and they're doing exercises wrong. I would try to help them out, you know, and not be too in, invasive. And I wasn't that experienced at the time, but I put in a lot of hours. I'm not even lying when I say three to four hours some nights reading articles about working out or watching videos on how to do exercises properly or reading about how the human body works when it came to actual muscular response to certain exercises and stress. So I was just decided I need to get my personal trainer certification so people will take me seriously. Wow. Because unfortunately, you could be the most knowledgeable person but sometimes people won't take you seriously unless you have that certification. We live in a world of credentials. Yeah. yeah people want the credentials and it probably didn't hurt. No, you no, I'm sure you it was up some, some good. Stuff it was it really sure. in depth learning about the anatomy of the human body, which were things that I did look into when I was doing my own research, but I didn't think I needed to know all these little aspects of the anatomy of the human body. Sure. And it was a pretty, you can ask personal trainers out there. The test is, is pretty extensive when you have to go sit in a room for three, four hours and take this test on stuff that, well, for example, you know, my fiance and I have talked about it, that nurses take classes in college for when it comes to anatomy. And you have to learn this on your own via study guides and research and then go take a test, schedule a test and go take it. So I'm not saying it's yeah as hard yeah. as many other things because it's very not much not hard <laughs> or difficult. Uh, if you enjoy it, but the anatomy part caught me off guard and I was very grateful that I actually did go forward and, and get my credentials, my certification, because not only did it open me up to gaining clients, but I didn't, like you said, I learned a lot of things that I want to on my own. So you, so you, you're ready, you're, you're a basketball player and you've got some skill. You're hoping to play, uh, you know, at a high, high level and you decide to work out and yep. you're like, eh, I think I'm going to pivot to this now. And then yeah. at what point did something click? And you, I mean, I know you said you went, you, it clicked and you went 
and you got your certification, but what was like the mind shift where the motivation shifted? Yeah. And you're like, no, I'm going all in on this. Yeah. So, uh, that first month of working out back, you know, back home in Plattsburgh after transferring back to Clinton, I, I was a lot fortunate enough. I ran into an older gentleman. He was in his mid fifties. So a young gentleman, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I ran into him and he took, he took me under his wing and he just happened to be, uh, back in the sixties and seventies. I don't know the exact name, but it, they had the Mr. Universe contest. Uh, for example, that I believe Arnold won, yep. um, and yep. a lot of other big names, but they had a universe pairs or universe couples. It was a man and a woman that would get on stage and pose together. And this guy actually had won that, I believe, three times. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was very successful. In Plattsburgh. In Plattsburgh, yes. He's actually, I believe, a correction officer. He's going to be retiring soon. I bumped into into his old training partner while I was back home. I didn't see him, but I saw his old training partner. So we talked about him, and I got some updates on him. That's cool. Um, And he's doing well. So you know, hopefully he'll listen to this at some point, because I'm hoping – his friend will share it with him because he's actually, you know, he's a pretty big part of my, yeah, man, part of my yeah, success at the beginning. Absolutely. So I would love for him to hear this. So he took me under his wing, taught me how to do the exercises properly. And then most importantly, he taught me about nutrition. He taught me, you know, to make sure that you're getting your protein, your carbs, your fats, you know, but then he also looked at me and said, you know, you're a basketball player. You run like you're, you're skinny. You're, you're, you know, you're going to put on muscle, but you have a really fast metabolism. So you can't go and eat, you know, five, six clean meals. And when I say clean, you know, very healthy, low fat, um, low carb, high protein meals. You can't do that. You need to eat junk food. So I was eating five or six clean meals a day. And then I would eat these, uh, I was actually at Walmart, these XXL burritos that were a thousand calories a piece. I'd eat three or four of those a day. Get out of here. And what? <laughs> seriously. <laughs> this is all right. Um, Listen, because you got my, my attention on the Amazon stuff, but now you really got my attention. You're creating <laughs> burritos to fitness. Keep going. Yeah. So, be, you know, this is where a lot of people don't necessarily, they'll go work with a trainer. Uh, you know, I'm not knocking any other trainers, but they'll just eat these healthy, clean meals, but they don't look at the individual and, you know, their metabolism like this gentleman did to me because, you know, he, he just straight up saw that I understood the exercises. And in that first month I put on 30 pounds and not an ounce of fat. Wow. And people that know me know that's the truth. They've, they've seen the pictures. They saw it when it was happening live. They saw the strength increases. I mean, I just responded to what he was having me do so well. And I wouldn't have if I was healthy. If all my meals would have been healthy every day, I wouldn't have because my metabolism was so high. I needed those 8,000, 10,000 calories a day, much like uh, competitive strongmen, you know, where they just, they just pound 10,000 calories of food a day. That's you know, insane, man. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it was to the wow. point some days I would make myself sick. Like I would actually physically be sick because I would eat so much food. That but, goes against everything I have ever been told. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm interested. Yeah, you know, it makes sense. I mean, it makes total sense. You need you need the intake for your body to absorb it and convert it into muscle tissue. Yeah, and you, you know, like at that at that point, you know, I was um, twenty, just shy of twenty years old. So I was ni- I was nineteen and a half, um, and I 
it was young, so my metabolism was pretty good. I had been a competitive basketball player since sixth grade, I believe, fifth, fifth going into sixth grade in that area. So I was constantly running. I played soccer. Uh, I played baseball. So I was used to constantly being active. And even though I realized I had to sit out that semester, I was still running every day, my, a couple miles a day. Holy smokes. So running a couple miles a day, that expenditure right there was yeah, that'll do it. tremendous. And then you add in that at that point, I was working out uh hour to two hours a day. Um, but I was sometimes going twice a day because I just was so addicted to it at the time. Mm. So I was burning a lot of calories. So I was very fortunate enough that I had this gentleman take me under my under his wing and he kind of, you know, just evaluated it week by week, like a good trainer would with a client. You know, evaluated the progress and said, well, you need to eat more here, but you can't eat healthy food because you can't eat eight to 10,000 10, calories a day of healthy food. I mean, if somebody tries to do that, that is a really tremendous amount of food. But to eat three or four burritos out of that over a thousand calories a piece, that's an easy way to get three, four thousand calories a day. So that's where I, what I had to do. And if you look at a, you know, you go do research or look at any of these competitive bodybuilders that are professional bodybuilders in their 20s, early 20s, a lot of them had to do that same thing. They had to, to pound a lot of junk food in to obtain the mass that they wanted to. So yeah, I gained 30 pounds in that first month. And then after three months, I was over just over 200 pounds. I think I was 205 pounds or, or something around that. And I, I had to take a look in the mirror one day and realize at 205 pounds, there's no way I'm going to be able to dunk a basketball anymore regularly. <laughs> That's not going to happen. There's no way I'm going to be able to run up and down a court without at some point getting out of breath, even though I was still running a little bit. But by that third month, I realized that running was starting to be counterproductive for muscular gains. I would just start walking on the treadmill for your cardiovascular health. Yeah but I couldn't go outside and run anymore because it was being counterproductive for what my goal was at that point. Cause I had my mindset started to shift and I realized that basketball was no longer my future. I wanted to, I wanted to play professional basketball overseas. That was always my dream in high school. And it just shifted literally within a few months. It, I, I looked around and saw that other people weren't putting on muscle like I was and they weren't growing like I was. So, I had to have some genetic disposition to putting on muscle a little bit quicker. I just, I felt like I was lucky, you know, and maybe I was fortunate enough, like I said, to have an individual take me under their wing and teach me the right way, which a lot of people don't get that. But there was some response in my body that told me this is what you were meant to do. Yep. yep. Well, that's cool, man. So, th so you, you translated this into not just, a personal goal for your own fitness, but you decided to make it into a business move too. And I assume monetize it in some way. Yeah. So really what happened was, is I continued to work out, uh, until I was, uh, until I was actually 23 and at 23, I got up to 285 pounds or so very Say low body again? fat. Two you know, we're talking, 283, 285 pounds. Holy shit, man. Yeah. And I was just shy of, I was under 10% body fat. Oh my. So, God. you know, I had 
Dude, yeah. you're a machine. Um, you're a machine. And you're a machine. That's amazing. <laughs> I actually ended up though, and this is the unfortunate part. I ended up at one point having some blood pressure issues because my body, it wasn't meant to be 285 pounds, 250 pounds. I feel comfortable. 285. Sure, sure. It was hard going upstairs. It really was, you know, and you could take somebody that's obese and it puts so much strain on their heart and their skeletal system, but take somebody that is 285 pounds obese versus 285 pounds of muscle, that muscle actually puts a lot more strain on your internal organs because it's, it's, yes, it's heavier. Yes, because the muscle, yes, and the muscle, correct me if I'm wrong, is constantly burning calories, yeah. putting so stress you're, on you're, your body. If you're not compensating for more calories while that's burning, well, you know, if you're, if you're, you've got a bunch of, you know, 100 pounds of extra fat on you, that's not burning calories for you. It's just exactly sitting, right. So muscle requires energy. Muscle is yeah. a whole nother thing. So, yes, exactly. you know, I'm 285 pounds going upstairs, gets me out of breath, going up a flight of stairs. And I was living in a three story on the third story apartment at this point. So <laughs> stairs were killing me. Um, I went to the doctor because I kept getting headaches. So my blood pressure was, was high. So I actually had to go on uh, Bistolic, is what it was called, by Forest Labs, uh, prescription blood pressure medicine. And I did that for like three months. The doctor told me simply, you need to clean up your diet. You need to eat more fish. And I hate fish, but I added it in. <laughs> and I ate more chicken. And I backed off the red meat. And I went down to maybe 265, 270. But I just couldn't lose the muscle quick. It was like my body at that point didn't want to lose the muscle. And finally, you should have given me a call, man. I got plenty of tricks <laughs> to lose muscle. I lose muscle like crazy, like nobody's business. <laughs> and, and this actually kind of goes into why I felt like this is, was something I needed to pursue because not only could I put on muscle quick, but I didn't lose it. Yeah, that's interesting. So I'm 23 and I ended up having a partial tear in my left pec. So it is scary. I was in the gym by myself on the oval. I was on the incline bench press and I was recording it. So I actually have footage of this. I was doing 555 pounds on the incline bench by myself in the gym. Oh nobody my in the gym. God. Wow. Stupid. The stupid. People are like, oh, that's a lot of weight. No, that was just stupid because nobody was there to spot me if something went wrong. And I was lucky enough that a kid I actually graduated high school with happened to be walking in and he heard the, the actual um, weights clanging as I was, you know, pressing it. So he thought somebody was down there deadlifting because that's what it sounded like to him. And he came in right when I was actually on my 10th rep and I felt like a pop and a burn. And I just felt like all power go away from my left side, from my left pec and shoulder. Oh my. And I was luckily enough that I got, I was able to rack it slowly with his help. But I'm like, you know, and he heard the pop, I had headphones on listening to music and I heard it. But he actually heard it while he was walking down the hall and he ran over to see what was going on, you know? So that made me kind of take a step back, evaluate things from more of a health standpoint, bodybuilding and health. And then I realized, well, I've kind of in these last few years done a lot with my myself and my own body. I really want to do this personal training thing serious and help others so they don't tear their pec muscle. So they don't have to go on blood pressure medicine because they're stupid. They're not thinking that, hey, 285 pounds, whoa, it looks awesome. This is so impressive. There's repercussions to that. 
you know, it's, it's good to have a goal and, and achieve it, but there couldn't be repercussions. As healthy as you think you're being, your body is not meant to be 285 pounds for some people. Yeah. <laughs> so I realized that all these things I did wrong, even though at the t- I thought they were right at the time, I did them wrong. What other young guys were trying to pursue those same goals but in reality would end up at 23 or 24 or 25 being on blood pressure medicine or tons of injuries to their elbows or their, you know, whether it's muscular tear or tendonitis, I could help them prevent this and do things properly and slowly progress, not progress like I did very fast. Cause when you grow too fast, your muscles grow faster than your tendons and your joints. So they just can't handle that. Interesting. And I was just, I was very lucky that I had just a partial pec tear. So it bruised, it was bruised for a few months on my shoulder and my, my left pec. But I was lucky because if that would have fully torn, taking my shirt off now would be very uncomfortable because you would either need to have surgery, which I'm not a huge fan of getting surgeries unless they're really needed. Um, which at that point pursuing, you know, I, I had sponsorships at the time. So I needed to look good in order to, to you know, keep the sponsorships and keep getting free supplements and, and money. So a pec tear, if anybody's ever, you know, some of these listeners have ever had an injury, a tear of a muscle, it basically caves in. So you don't ever look the same unless you have that full reconstructive surgery where they reattach it. Interesting. So I'm lucky in the sense that it was only a partial tear and it healed itself. But it popped. But, you hear it through you know, the headphones. Yeah, it was Boy, scary. That is scary. <laughs> you know, and that, that's what made me transition into really wanting to help others. So those things didn't happen to younger guys. And then, then also, I now very much enjoy training uh, older generations because the same thing, just a different end of the spectrum injuries, preventing injuries. Do you find that um, you train people who don't? necessarily have the same fitness goals like like what's your opinion on just a very cardio heavy fitness or with very little weightlifting because uh, i see the you know there are a lot of people out there that just they're slamming cardio man but they're not putting muscle on their yeah. body and then there's also the you know which i've participated in quite a bit uh crossfit right what are your thoughts on those types of things yeah so i'm I'm very, there's, there's a lot of people in bodybuilding that despise CrossFit, despise runners. I, I think that, you know, you know, I'm just gonna be flat out. I think that is so dumb because anybody pursuing a healthy lifestyle should be encouraged. Do I think certain movements in CrossFit are risky just from personal experience? Yes. But I actually very much enjoy CrossFit. I love watching it. I love Matt Frazier. You know, I've watched his documentaries. He's from Vermont. You know, Winooski, he's a phenomenal athlete. He looks amazing. He could go train like a bodybuilder for three months and probably win a lot of bodybuilding shows. Dude, he's, he's, you know, he was, yeah, he's he, unreal. I ran into him in I Vermont love it. At, yeah. Uh, I was walking out of the, uh, the Hickok and Boardman office and he was walking in. Um, I don't know what he was doing, but this was after he had just won the national or the, the world, uh, fittest. Man yeah, so whatever. he was probably and investing that million dollar winning. I bet you he was <laughs> investing his winnings in real estate yeah. in Vermont. I bet because where he's home from, right? Like, I yeah, he bought. Was. He's from Winooski or Colchester, and I think he just yeah. bought a big piece of land the last couple of years up there, and he bought a bunch of land in Tennessee. Yep, 
Yeah, I bet you that's exactly what I what I saw. I I didn't really get a chance to talk to him very much, and he probably would never even remember that we ran into each other because the guy probably sees so many fans. But yeah, yeah, it was cool, and he is like, there's certain people you look at him, you're like, wow, that dude, that dude's fit, or that that woman is really fit. But like this guy, you look at him, and it's like he looks like a boulder. Yeah, like like you can tell how strong this dude is and like how well-rounded this dude is like he you he could beat you in a race but then go like bench press or squat some ridiculous weight yeah you know know, it's like a really good mix it's it's phenomenal you know so people like that i just i look up to him you know i think he's an amazing athlete an amazing ambassador for fitness He's well-spoken. His mom was actually my doctor. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, yeah. No kidding. yeah. I, I just happened to go into the, the health center there in Vermont where I, where I lived and I needed to actually get a little surgery and she happened to be the doctor that came in and checked it out and was like, you know, she's like, well, you're, you're clearly a bodybuilder. And I said, yep. And she's like, you know, you do this and I was like, for a living. And I said, yeah, I have sponsorships. And it was a surgery that was dealing with basically like the pec tear, if it wasn't done properly, it could cause cosmetic issues. Interesting. It was on my back. So I was pretty worried and she actually was really amazing. So having a parent like that, I can see why the guy is a, just astonishing individual and represent representative of CrossFit. But going back to your original question. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like seeing people in the gym, just that go there every day and, ru- and run, you know, they go on the treadmill, the stair stepper, whatever it is, and they just do cardio. I think they are doing themselves a disservice because anybody that can go do a Google, Google search can see how many calories you burn weightlifting. And not only that, you're strengthening your muscle, your muscular system, your skeletal system, your tendons, your joints. So in a completely balanced program, you should be doing weightlifting. It's good for your body. You should be doing cardio because it's good for your cardiovascular system to keep your heart healthy and your lungs healthy. That's why, for example, CrossFit, even though, like I said, there are movements that scare me and I I think it's risky Mm -hmm. um, because some of the movements take you out of a unnatural uh, flow or movement of the the muscle or the, you know, the joint. Sure. Kind of like, uh, what do you, what do you call them? Uh, You would know, uh, is it? kippers kips kips the the um the kipping uh pull-ups yeah like that to me is very scary (laughs) because somebody that tries to go do that that doesn't have a good group around them like for example i believe you go to you go to a good crossfit gym right yeah yeah i I, well admittedly as we're speaking here i haven't been back in a while but yeah shout out to plattsburgh uh, CrossFit. I know there's North Country CrossFit, and both have a great yep. following. But um, John, yeah, so John, you, you have uh, a good taught, group. Yeah, I know exactly where you're going with this. John, it, it, the owner of Plattsburgh CrossFit, is a huge advocate on proper form and like doing is in particular with the kips. Like you're not just loosely swinging your arms. I mean he. He hounds on people to make sure their their shoulders are engaged before they move. And yep. like I think that's key. You know, your muscles gotta be engaged before you start yeah. whipping your body around so you can hold your joints together. And and it's not a 
it's not supposed to be a flailing move either that a lot of people turn it into, including myself at times when I'm tired. But like, yeah. it's supposed to actually be a very short, concise, uh, full body effort of force to help get you up in rapid speed. Exactly. You know? But I'm with you, man. Yeah. So you got to be smart. So it's, it's scary seeing uh, you look at somebody watches, you know, the, the fit games, for example, and they see Matt Fraser doing all these different movements. This young kid, he goes into the gym and just starts trying to do that without anybody around him, a good group guiding him on how to properly do it. That's scary. Weightlifting, there are movements that are, can be scary, but most people, most young, you know, for example, I'll use guys, most young guys that go in, they want to, they just work on their arms and their abs doing curls with dumbbells. You, it's pretty hard to hurt yourself if you're staying in a reasonable weight that you should be doing. Yeah. It's pretty hard to hurt yourself doing crunches, you know, or, or hanging leg lifts or things like that. You know, so like new, new people and beginners into the gym, it's very rare that they will hurt themselves trying to do those types of things. And they'll advance slowly because they'll end up kind of finding a guy in the gym like myself. I have a lot of young guys that come up to me and ask me questions and I show them how to do things. And I enjoy that. So what scares me though, is I've seen young guys go into the gym and try to do CrossFit movements like kipping. And that scares me because even myself, when I first tried to do that, you know, it felt unnatural mm. because I didn't know how to properly do it. And then, like you said, I, I actually started watching that, the Matt Frazier documentary and I saw how I watched his form very closely and I actually did a Google search you know, on how to properly do it. And I'm reading these actual journals by some top trainers in the field of CrossFit. And it's like, oh, that makes sense. That's how you're going to prevent injury. Yeah. But a lot of young people won't do that. They'll just oh, yeah. go in and try to swing their body up. And then maybe they, you know, pull a shoulder out of socket or tear, even worse, tear a shoulder or tear a lat, you know, and that's just. You could do that with any of those Olympic lifting lifts. And, you know, that's in CrossFit. Yeah, too, getting yeah. into, you know, Olympic lifts or powerlifting, that's even scarier because it doesn't matter how experienced you are in that. At some point, you're going to tear something. Yeah. It's a given. You do a snatch yeah. the wrong way and you fling that uh, Olympic bar with, you know, more weight than you're ready for up above your head and you're not ready for that or your shoulders aren't in the right spot. Ooh, yeah, that really scares, scares me. And that's what scares me when I see people, because a lot of people like Matt Frazier and stuff, he started off in, for example, uh, Olympic weightlifting. So he still does all those, you know, snatch and cleans mm -hmm. and clean and jerks and whatnot. So these young guys are going to start trying to do that because they want to be like him. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You need a trainer and advocate, you know, shout out to you and, 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 and John at Plattsburgh CrossFit and all the other trainers out there. But like, I would never... Yeah, I probably would hurt myself if I tried to do that on my own. But having someone coach me through that, yeah. just it's a it's it's so important because then once you understand how to do it safe, and it becomes muscle memory how to do a move safe. Yeah, exactly. And it's but like you know, just completely going back to the basis of the question, I think every exercise is good exercise. Sure. I just think that people should one get out of their comfort zone. So for me. Doing CrossFit is out of my comfort zone, but it's fun once in a while. It's actually very fun. Doing strongman is fun. You know, doing powerlifting is fun to do it once in a while. Just give it a try. Mm. You know, uh, like anybody going for a run out in the woods, that's fun. That's not my normal activity, but that, that would be fun to do once in a while. 
So I think everybody should be diverse in their exercise. Don't be scared to get out of their comfort zone, but also know where your limits are and no matter what you're going to pursue. Yeah. Because, you know, it's certain things, even in bodybuilding, getting, doing a squat can be risky if you don't know what you're doing. Doing a deadlift can be risky. Yep. But fortunate enough in bodybuilding, most young guys don't ever try that stuff to start. <laughs> right. It's about the, it's about the gun show, brother. Yep. It's all about, <laughs> it's all about yeah. that. I'll tell you what, I, I'll come back to my comment too. If you ever want to learn how to lose muscle, you give me a call, right? Because I, I definitely know how to lose muscle. Well, I'm going to have to at some point because uh, eventually uh, there's going to be a point even being 200 and, you know, 25 pounds or 250 pounds is not going to be healthy at a certain age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't, I'd be remiss in not talking about or asking you about your other piece to live in large fitness. It's an apparel company. Yeah. So how the heck did that start? (laughs) That started uh, just because I had clients I was training that I had some shirts made years ago just for myself. It was original logo and I had clients that started seeing me wear those at the gym once in a while. And they're like, Hey, can I get one of those? And I'm like, well, if this one, you know, you you don't want this. It's like, this is an old logo, but I was like, I could actually probably come up with a new logo anyways, because it's about time I revamp it. So yeah, I mean, let me see what I can do. So I, I looked into printing on demand and saw that the markup wasn't too high for for what I would make, you know, because I was hoping to make like $10 a, a shirt, you know, because I knew I could buy a shirt for like 2 $3, a good quality shirt, maybe $5. And I keep track of those margins though. Yeah. And you know, like I should at least make $5 profit, but I'd love to make $10, double up. So the idea was let's take and see what the heat press would cost. And then I could buy the t-shirts. I could heat press them myself. I could sell shirts for $15, which is cheaper than it. Virtually every other fitness apparel line out there, because that was my goal to have good quality, but cheap. Cause I wanted to make a name in that category because yeah. I, myself for years buying like everybody, you know, Nike, um, Jim Shark, which is a big fitness apparel company, actually probably one of the biggest in the world right now. They are so expensive just well, for a t-shirt, cheap, 30, $40. You know, you're talking $70 sometimes for a hooded sweatshirt. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I wanted to make something affordable, but yet still good quality and make, you know, $10 profit. So the print on demand wasn't what I was going to do. So I, I found the heat press, uh, purchased a heat press actually off Amazon. Uh, <laughs> she came right to my house. I taught myself how to use it just via YouTube. Nice. Um, learned the best uh, company for heat transfers, which is your logo to transfer onto the shirt. Um, and went from there, started doing that. And I actually, this was when I was back home these last three months and it, it blew up. It just absolutely blew up. Wow. And I realized, wow, I can't offer every item I would like to offer though. Because for me, I'm a very risk versus reward type of person, whether it comes to bodybuilding or business, that I evaluate that in depth. I make a pros and cons chart, risk versus reward. And to spend a couple thousand dollars on example for a jacket, then then that I'm then going to have to spend the time to go through and put the heat press on, you know, and the heat transfer on every one of these. That's a lot of time and a lot of money to invest. 
So you mean went, a couple thousand for a jacket because you're buying them in bulk? Yeah, so from, buying in bulk. from another company. So, or something, like you right? know, for me to buy or, t-shirts in bulk, not a big deal because t-shirts, you know, two, three, five dollars at max for a really good quality shirt. So to me, that wasn't the there wasn't too much risk there because I had so many people that wanted them. But expanding into new products, I, I did go into to hooded sweatshirts because I had a lot of people interested. So I literally took orders and then ordered them and then ordered some extra with my profits and reinvested into more hoodies and they all sold luckily. But going into to certain items like a zip up jacket or a bomber jacket, like the old air force uh, style pilot jacket, which are in style right now, or going into hats, um, going into yeah. um, more expensive items like shorts or sweatpants. That takes a huge upfront cost. Plus, I would need more equipment. And to be honest, I'd probably have to get into screen printing to keep up with the amount that I would have to do. So I'd have to then buy a screen print, screen uh, print device, which those can get very pricey. So you're talking thousands of dollars upfront cost. Yeah. To only take a chance that they will sell, which I'm a very open about taking chances, but I also evaluate chances on a risk versus reward or pros versus con ratio. And to me, it wasn't worth it when I had something out there with print on demand, which print on demand is a company where that will literally, I create my website, the orders go directly to them. I only make a couple dollars off an item, but then I can evaluate how the item's selling. You know, and I use Google Analytics. Uh, so Google Analytics keeps track of everything for me. So I can see the best days, yeah. my top sellers, what's trending, and evaluate if it was worth me then at that point pulling it from the print on demand because with one click of a button, I can cancel print on demand and I can do the item myself. So then I could then say, well, I'm selling, I've sold 300 of these jackets this month, you know, and I still got another month of cold weather. So, let me buy a hundred of them on my own where then now I'm making like, instead of, you know, on a jacket, instead of five, $6 making literally $30, mm. it's worth investing if I, the numbers are there. So that's why now with this new line of items, I'm using print on demand. Plus then I have my own heat press that I do all my other logos on that I, I was selling previous to that. I would assume apparel is one of the hardest things to try and start a business with i mean it's 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 a business it's a segment of your training business but it's still part of it's still business and that to me that seems like it's how do you it seems like it would be hard how do you um how do you break into that market you get just a bunch of close followers that are passionate about what you're doing and you get them to kind of support you from a grassroots type thing or yeah i would say that is your best bet if you look at any of the especially in the fitness world uh a really good example is christian guzman he's the owner uh of a very very successful clothing company um and he actually has a gym but he started off with a youtube page and he grew a huge following on a youtube page because he's a genuinely a really nice person interesting so people were drawn to him. That's how he started off. And then he actually created a small little gym. And then now he has a huge gym, one of the best gyms down here in the South in Texas. And then he has, it's actually probably will pass Gymshark as the most successful at some point. Wow. In the, in the fitness world. Um, 
I would say he's probably number two right now. You know, and this isn't, we're not, we're just saying like very niche fitness. We're not talking about like Nike, Adidas, sure. Reebok. Sure. Yeah. They're, they're their own category. They're going nowhere. Um, Gymshark may actually be up there with them at this point, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he's a prime example of, I think now, because the market is so oversaturated, you need to get that grassroots start. You need to gain a following, create a YouTube page or be a trainer locally and start getting people seeing you and people you're training wearing those shirts and be like, yeah, what is that? You know, that's cool. Like that guy wears that. I want to wear that. So I think now that's the best route to go. And that's what I did because it's just an oversaturated market. And it's a market where literally 99% of people fail. Mm. Yeah, I believe it. It's I just too oversaturated. Yeah, yeah, that makes total You're, sense. And if you don't have a lot of money up front to invest in it, it's very difficult unless you go the route I did where you where you had the grassroots following and you took orders and you ordered your shirts based off of your orders and then, you, and then realized, oh, this is what I'm making for profits and you reinvest 100% of profits into ordering more. But it's directly connected with your other business, yeah, which is makes it also easier. growing, and, which is good. Yeah, it makes it yeah. much easier when you have a training business that's successful and then you you can add that. So you have a training business successful. You're making, you know, training doesn't, I work remotely. So I do training programs. I do, you know, diets, supplementation. I work with natural athletes and non-natural athletes. I have athletes that compete at the pro level. Um, so I charge different amounts based off, you know, the individual, cause if it's a pro bodybuilder, they require a lot more attention than somebody that is just somebody looking to lose mm -hmm. weight. And I still give people my undivided attention. They can text me, they can call me every Friday. I have them do check-ins, you know, it's, I'm very in tune with these individuals, but in the reality, the scheme of things to have 30 clients doesn't take up much of my time. Because to answer a text message, to do my check-ins on Fridays, that's not that much time in the week. It really isn't. Because I've been doing this long enough that I can look at individuals, evaluate what we have to do, look at their diets, and come up with a plan starting off in an hour to an hour and a half. A whole diet plan and workout program. I just put my headphones on, I get in there, and I, I write it out for them. And then every Friday, we reevaluate the program, make changes as needed, whether it's to the diet or the workouts. And... You know, Fridays be my busiest day, but that opens up a lot of time to then spend during the rest of the week on the apparel company and Amazon. Yeah. Dude, you got some awesome stuff you're working on, man, between Amazon and living large fitness, like, but it all sort of, it's all sort of leveraging a uh, sim similar business skill sets, which is kind of cool. I see the overlap. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate uh, the kind words. Yeah, man. Yeah. No, uh, I definitely hold you in high regard. And I think what you're doing is uh, breaking away from the traditional go get a great corporate job model. And you're just rolling up your sleeves and getting it done, man, which is exactly why this story is perfect for, t for the Gumption podcast. Um, I'd like to kind of go into the wrap up section here where I ask you just kind of a couple general rapid fire type questions, kind of like a Tim Ferriss <laughs> would do on his podcast. Uh, but the, the first one is 
I love I love books. I love a I love a real good book. Is there a book that you would recommend? Uh, to... <laughs> it's funny you just said Tim Ferriss. <laughs> uh oh, what you got uh, something to say about Tim Ferriss? You good? You say book, and I think Four Hour Work Week, Tim Ferriss. Oh my God, that's so good. Okay, all right, we're going on a slight digression here again, <laughs> but I literally just got the Four Hour Work Week and the Four Hour Body by Tim Ferriss. <laughs> yep. Uh, I have not gotten into them very far. I started four hour body. It's an interesting, it's got a first couple chapters. It's, it's interesting, but I like where he's going with it. Have you read the four hour body? I have not. I read the four hour work week when I was in college. Okay. Um, so that I actually need to reread too, but he's good, Yeah, man. He's, he's, he's an interesting <laughs> he's dude. And it, a lot of it makes sense. And you could look at countries like, uh, Spain. Spain's a really good example. Their work week on average is like 28 hours, 27 hours. And they, if you look at all statistics, they live happier, longer lives than people in the United States and they make more money on average. Yeah. yeah. I've, so there's something to be said about a less work week and putting in your, the hour, if you take so you take Americans on average, I think we, right now it's like 51 hours a week on average. Americans work. Sounds right. And that may be low, that may be low balling, but I, I think last time I read that, Unless was you're locked into an hourly job that maxes it out, but yeah. 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 You know, but like, you know, and that's, it's rough that average because that's taking into account people in the oil fields, things like that, working multiple jobs because, because of, you know, the, the way the economy has been these last few years, it's, uh, I say the last 15 years, maybe, you know, we had a little bit of a drought in the economy and, and it looks like obviously based off the stock markets picking up, and hopefully we'll get back to where people can work one job and get to less hours and make more money. Um, but, you know, what's crazy about it all is you look at countries like that. In those 27 hours or 28 hours they work, I feel like they put more in sometimes. You know, I, I, you know that's not knocking people that have to work 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week. But I feel like if you took every hour and acted like it was your last hour on earth and you wanted to be the most successful in the last hour on earth, you probably could accomplish a lot more in the hour than you do normally. I would agree with that. And I think, I think the average person in America could work. Um, yeah. Could work, you know, 36 hours a week and accomplish just as much as a, a 40 hour yeah, or, and you it, know, thirty-two hours a week in a in a forty-hour week. Um, well, you know, you look at uh, yeah. People. I think there's a lot a, of people sitting there if example. they're a desk. Yeah, yeah. You know, where if you have a, a target sales, and it doesn't matter how many hours you work, you look in those industries. The, the people that really get it work half the time because they get done in half the time because they value that balance of work and home life or you know, fun life. Yeah. Yeah. So the four hour work week, I like it, man, by Tim Ferriss. Yeah. It's a good one. And the <laughs> irony that I, that I'm closing the podcast in a Tim Ferriss fashion and you chose a yep. Tim Ferriss. It's great. Um, Hey, Timmy, if you're, if you're listening, bro, you know, we want to, uh, we want to have a conversation about your books. Um, here's another one. What do you wish you knew 
when you were entering the workforce that you know now? Yeah. Um, this would probably go back to even before college because the thing that people ask me the most is, you know, people obviously want to know, what, you know, where I went to college, what I did, et cetera, what, you know, what my degree's in. Um, if I could go back and do it over again, I actually, and this isn't, this isn't for everybody. <laughs> I want to, I went to college knowing now what I, what I, what I have accomplished. And because the, the reason I say this is because right now in American society, I think our counselors in high schools need to really sit down with people, find out what they do. Uh, for me, I have a business management mm -hmm. degree. It's honestly useless. It really is. <laughs> it's my work ethic and my personality that landed me my corporate jobs. Um, you know, prior to going off on my own, so right. it's a very useless degree. And the fact that an associate's degree, really now, most people want bachelor's anyways. When you look at job postings, and I mean, I've landed jobs where they wanted master's degrees because of my personality and work ethic and prior experience. So I would say. If you're, especially if you have younger people, even if they're in college or if you have high schoolers listening right now, I would say sit down and make a list very much like my risk reward uh, or pros and cons ratio list and see what your passion is. And then look at the degree you're thinking about going into in college. Then look at how much you're going to spend for that degree versus how much you're going to make. Because right now this is actually, you know, why, you know, do you look at doctors, for example, there's a huge issue right now with the lack of doctors in America. And it's because of how much needs to be spent to become a doctor and then what they're paying doctors. Doctors make good money. They make great money. But when you have a million dollars in student loans, it takes a long time to get out of that debt. So there's this huge issue with doctors in America right now. Um, and I think that's because people are starting to say like, it's not worth the million dollars. Or the because it's going to take me 15 years. Yeah. We yeah. live in and such a litigious you know, yeah, society. And I yeah. understand, you know, from, from working in commercial insurance now that just the exposure that a physician or a surgeon or a doctor in general has to someone yeah. doing them. And it, I mean, you can pay big Boku bucks to have a insurance policy that will help you sleep at night, but yeah, it's uh at the end of the day, is it worth all of that? I don't know. We need great doctors and I hope more people go for yep. it, but I'm with you, man. It's a, that's so a So my advice would be seeing, you know, what's currently going on in a lot of different fields, nursing, doctors, uh, even attorneys, um, law enforcement, things like that, where they're asking for a bachelor's degree now to be a police officer where, yeah, I think, you know, if you took and did more hands-on academy training, made a longer academy, because some of these, you know, as I, well, a side note, I did, uh, I was a reserve police officer in Oklahoma on the side because I felt like I needed to get back to my community. So seeing the academies for such things as that, that is scary. It shouldn't be an eight-week academy to be a police officer yeah. or a 16-week. I feel like some situations, instead of requiring that bachelor's degree, make it like you know a full year of academy training where you're, where you're learning how to diffuse you know, these situations mm -hmm. and things like that. I'm with you. So That makes total um, sense. You know, like, and, that, and that kind of goes into my answer with this question is, is right now we have a issue in the country with jobs such as the trades. We can't fill them. Pipeline workers, oil rig workers, 
on average right now, a pipeline worker working out in the oil fields makes about, you know, anywhere from 12 to 20,000 a month, high school degree. That's it. You're a young kid and you don't know what you want to do and you're not scared of getting your hands dirty. That's a pretty good option. The plumber of 2030 is going to be loaded. Yeah. Masonaries, same, same mm-hmm. idea. You know, it's these fields are dying right now. And I think if you did that pros and cons list, risk versus reward list, however you want to call it as a young kid and like broke down, say, I say, you know, I want to go, I want to go to, to get my bachelor's degree in business management because I want to manage a, a warehouse. And then you look in your area, the average warehouse manager, not 54,000 a year, but yet you then add in the cost of college to get that bachelor's degree and then take and put under that. Oh, okay. Here I could go. And I just know this firsthand because I have a friend that works in the pipelines. So a pipeline worker, mm-hmm. he's right. He, he, he's open about this because he's actually shared this online. He made $16,000, I believe in January. I think it was January, $16,000. Skilled training. And no, no degree required. So that's 100% profit because he's not paying a student loan. And he's learned his, his, his training is all on the job. So he never had to pay for anything. So I think we need to, you know, advice would be to step back and really evaluate what you want to do. Evaluate what your interests are in. You know, if you want to be an archaeologist, go for it. Go to college. That's your passion. That's what you love. And I believe you pursue your passion. But if you don't know what you want to do, don't just go to college to go to college. Go where you're going to make some money mm-hmm. where then you could go back to college because you have tons of money saved or start the business of your dreams after working a few years in a job where you're making 16000 a month. Yep. Yep. You could start any business you wanted to. Because you have the money. And I think we need to get back to that because that was, I know like, you know, when I was in high school, they never once, any, any guidance counselors never talked to me about getting into trades. Yeah. It was shoved in my brain that I need to go to college. And I already had that mindset, you know, that I needed to go to college. I needed at least an associate's degree. That was my mindset because I saw where the, what the market, what was going on with the market when I was looking at jobs, they were you know, requires an associate's degree, requires a bachelor's degree, you know? So I had that mindset, but I wish people would have sat me down and told me how much you can make in all these different trades because I actually enjoy that type of work. I, mm-hmm. I do. And a lot of people do. Yeah. You know, I enjoy more, more hands-on stuff. So as a 19 year old, if I wouldn't have had aspirations of playing basketball, I probably would have probably moved down to Texas and went and worked on an oil rig or worked pipeline work. Yeah. If I would have known that's how much they were making. Last question here. This is my favorite question to ask. And, uh, I, I, I just, I don't know. I missed a couple people on the podcast and I feel awful about it. Cause I wanted to know what they would say, but I'm getting back into it as a gumption podcast tradition tradition here. If we're going to, uh, establish a business, the Neil Kirby, business, the business of your life, uh, and you could pick three people, dead or alive, famous or not, to be on the board of directors to help mentor you and guide you through the rest of your life, who would they be and why? 
All right. Uh, three people. Uh, first and foremost, I would definitely, I think I'd have to go Joe Rogan. <laughs> Joe Rogan. Yep. I like and Joe Rogan. People will be Tell like, oh, yeah, he's amazing, has an amazing, the number one podcast in the world. But I, he is just so intellectual and his values are very much the same as my own. I'm, I think, you know, just my personality aligns up really well with his. But I think he is such, he is so strong with some of his opinions. He's a you know, big, very pro-Second Amendment, for example. Um, and he stays true to that, no matter what pressure he gets put under. And I respect that. But at the same time, he is so intelligent and fair. With You watch any of his podcasts. Very fair. He's very open-minded to taking ideas, fact-checking them, evaluating them, and then seeing if it makes sense, if it's true or if it's not. And I, I think that just makes a really balanced person. I agree. That has a great outlook on life, but yet still stands true to their own convictions that they truly believe in, that they've done the research and they know that, you know, this just makes sense for them. I like it. So that's why I'd have to go with Joe Rogan because he's just very fair and intellectual. I like it. Be a good counselor for sure. Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Number two. Uh, going on to number two, I would have to say I would go. Actually, I probably have to go with Congressman Dan Crenshaw. Interesting. Okay, out of Texas, um, another individual that you're probably going to see a pattern here: people being very fair and open-minded. Uh, Dan Crenshaw, everybody probably knows he's he has he wears the patch. He lost an eye, um, in mm-hmm. Navy Navy yep. SEAL, and He's now a congressman out of Texas. He, if you watched any debates with him, I myself am a very like in the middle independent and, you know, with my views on life and, and politics and everything. I'm just very fair about everything. I like to take other people's ideas, evaluate them, soak them in before I respond. Uh, and I feel like that is his outlook because if you watch his debates that he's had with people, you know, on Sunday morning when he does uh, meet the press, things like that. Um, that was the best example I could think of when you asked was, I remember watching him sit there and he was at a table with four other Democrats, I believe, or four Democrats and one Republican and mm-hmm. he himself is a Republican. But yet he's so, um, in a world of such anger and people screaming out when they disagree with people, I am just so impressed with how he keeps his cool, especially because there was some, a few times when there was questions that he clearly, you could tell in his face, he thought were just outright dumb questions that just didn't make sense, you know? And yet he still was very respectful and asked, well, why do you think that? You know, like, I would like to know, understand fully why in depth you believe this. And he kind of soaks in what they're saying. doesn't, you know, just backlash at him and get angry, holds his cool, um, and I think that makes her uh, make for somebody that would be a very good counselor on a, on a board, you know, somebody that doesn't act out of emotion, but instead really evaluates everything. I, I respect that a lot as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. You got one more though, man. More. I, I yeah. think I can guess, <laughs> but I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you say who number three is and, uh, I'll see if I'm right. Yeah. So uh, number three would definitely have to be my father, Edward Kirby. Um, <laughs> bingo. I knew it. It's just, uh, he's had the, 
one of the biggest impacts on my life when it comes to business. You know, definitely business. He's just outright uh, the biggest influence in my life because I watched him, uh, you know, work his way up, you know, from when I was just a little kid and become successful at what he does and then watched him give back to the community. And, uh, you know, that concept of working for what you have, earn your dollar. Um, and then now as, you know, he's getting getting older, our conversations have really developed into, you know, politics and life and religion and uh, hearing his philosophy just, you know, you know he, he's, a, he's a conservative person, but he's very open about things. And I guess that's what ties in all these people is having an open idea to accept other people's views, evaluate those views. And if you're going to come back with a rebuttal, you rebuttal them with facts, statistics, science, whatever it is, but with something that can't be disproved, something that is proven. And I think that's a fair response by anybody in this world, but don't respond in an angry way. And my father just taught me to always think before I speak, you know, which is the oldest thing in the book that people should, you know, especially teach their kids. And I think most parents do. Um, but now we see a lot of people and, and our general outlook, um, mm -hmm. you know, they just don't have that out. They just don't have that outlook right now. So it's kind of scary. We live in a, a very polarizing time. And I think your three choices are certainly three people that regardless of politics, for sure, but regardless of what the fact is or the, or the, the difficulty that you would encounter, I think those three people would be fantastic at being fair, honest, and great mentors. Perfect. Nice choices. I, uh, I want to, I want to give you uh, one final opportunity here before we close out to uh, let any and all listeners of this podcast uh, find out how to get in touch with you uh, yeah. in any way, whether it's the Amazon stuff, live in large fitness, the apparel or training, let them know how to reach you. Yeah. So, uh, the, the best way to, there's a few ways to reach out to me. Uh, if you're on Instagram, Neil N E L E Kirby K I R B Y. That's my handle on Instagram. You can message me on there. Uh, you know, on my pictures, if you, you want to ask a question, whatever. Uh, I post a lot of things on there related to the fitness world. And that's what I use for my company because I have a large following on there. Uh, and then on Facebook, you could search Live in Large Fitness. It'll take you to my Facebook page. And on there's links to the website, purchase items. Uh, and you can message me on there directly about any type of training or whatnot, or just to talk. And I, I enjoy just conversation. I enjoy help, helping people for free. I will help, uh, whether fitness or business, I will help you with things for free. I'm not going to charge if you ask me a question about a diet or nutrition. <laughs> um, that's just, I enjoy helping people. I help people every day in the gym. Um, and I don't, I don't want anything in return for that. You know, and if you feel like you want personal services, contact me and we can set up personal training. Uh, but really just general questions, especially Amazon related, whatnot, is you can live in large fitness page or Neil E. Kirby on Instagram. Fantastic, man. Dude, Neil, this has been a great one. This has been a great episode. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and experiences with me and the listeners. Uh, 
it's been a real good episode. Real good episode. Uh, don't forget, folks, if uh, you're looking for some farm fresh eggs uh, and you're living in Clinton County, unfortunately, Neil, you you know, I don't think uh, they're delivering these eggs out to uh, <laughs> New Mexico right at the at the present. Maybe. maybe. Well, if I if I I'll probably be home in June, so I'm going to actually have to grab some. There you go. There you go. Hey, for a dollar off your first order, uh, tell him uh, you're listening to the podcast or Neil, tell, you know, you were on the podcast. Maybe that's worth two bucks. I don't know. But uh, they're great eggs and uh, I love them. Go uh, reach out to them at Open Gate Farmstead on YouTube, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, until next time, everybody have a good one.